Habits and Health, episode 37. Welcome to the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome to another edition of Habits and Health. And my guest today is Francis Cahill. Well, I say Cahill in that way because that's how it looks like the name is pronounced. But as you're going to hear in a minute, it's not actually how the name is pronounced. It's very different. She's a Brisbane-based author, a public speaking coach, a fear disruptor and courage companion. We'll find out more about that very soon. Her, Her community is made up of people who are fearful of speaking in public and her role is to provide the right tools, the techniques and practical scripts to, to guide people to speak out loud and perform on whatever stage it is that they're facing. So that's uh, Francis Cahill, not Cahill, who we're going to be hearing from in a few seconds. If you do like this episode, please do share it with anyone who you feel would get some real value from some of the nuggets that uh, Francis shares with us. And I hope you enjoy this week's show. Habits and health. My guest today, Francis Carl. Did I get that right? right. Yes, you did. You got it right. Thank you. As we started, as we were discussing before we started recording, when I saw your name, I presumed that it was Cahill pronounced, but I was wrong. It's not pronounced Cahill. (laughs) No, we're um, this. This is a rogue branch of that family. I think Tony, we're Carls. We always have been. We always will be the rogue Australian branch of the of the family. (laughs) And you're in, so you mentioned Australia, and you're in Brisbane. That's right, in sunny Queensland. Mm. And are you a, so what would that be called, a Brisbaneite? Yes, or a Brisbanean. Brisbanean, okay. (laughs) Are you a native Brisbanean? Yes, I am a native Brisbanean. I I lived here for about 20 years and then I went, went away for 35 or so up and down the east coast of Australia living and working in various places and then about 10 years ago I came back, came back wow home. and you're you now help people with sort of public public speaking and confidence yes. and, and so on sure do I'm your and courage companion Tony I'm your courage, courage companion. companion yep and how did that come about and what what led you into that um Oh, goodness. I've always been a speaker and I've performed in community theatre and on stage and in music oh, since I was about eight, I think. Or oh, I first started singing hymns in Sister Ruth's class. So performance and confidence in front of people, etc., was one aspect of, um, of my life. And my uh, academic background is in sociolinguistics. So that's the study of language and society and appropriate communication and good messages, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and I also, in in my professional life, um, it just seemed to be that people would gravitate to me to say, how do I say this better or can you help me? And I came back to Brisbane after a devastating divorce. I found that my confidence had been reduced to zero, absolutely to zero, and over a period of about, uh, six to seven years, I pulled on all of that information, my community theatre, my performance background, my sociolinguistics, uh, my professional life, all of those things, put it all together and started to develop programs for people in that very, that very um, event of their life where they want to say something and either they don't know how or fear is stopping them. So it was, it's a a series of programs that brings you from fear, transforming it, not getting rid of it, but transforming it into being able to speak confidently out loud whenever you want to and whenever you need to. Do you, what are your thoughts on why, why is it that people are so fearful about speaking in public? There's a, a number of, of um, reasons and one of the mostly I don't want to look like an idiot. You know, I want to be able to to be seen as smooth and confident and being able to articulate. Um, When we look at the causes, and I did a very rough survey of my clients at one stage, and I said, when do you, do you remember ever being able to speak well in public or speak confidently? And I can say probably 60 to 70% of people said, well, I used to be all right in primary school. But there was that day I did the, you know, the vote, the, the 
oral presentation about fish in Japan or something and I just lost it and I froze. And forever since then, people have that body and mind memory about being terrified in front of people. Mm. Um, and it's very common. I, and not just with my clients, I ask people, when was the last time you remember that you could speak well? Or even in just talking about speaking in public, people, you can see their body starting to tense up. And, of course, people, your listeners can see me tensing up, um, <laughs> uh, that you can see that their whole body is reacting to the thought of speaking in public. And you think, wow, that's a really ingrained fear. So let's get started. Hmm. Well, they can't because this is an audio-only podcast. So they won't be able to <laughs> I know, I was right? being smarty. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm giving, but, giving you the full picture here, Tony. <laughs> but it did make me think, I don't know whether this is, there's any truth to this or not, but they mm-hmm. they say, and I'm not sure who they is, they but are. apparently they say, that the people fear death less than speaking in public. Or oh yes, I, I've heard that. It was, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld who came up with that. You know, the, the American comedian, where people would much prefer to be in the coffin rather than speaking the eulogy, <laughs> speaking you know the eulogy. Yeah. And there has there was some research that sort of pointed to that um, that people would much prefer to die, as you said, rather than speak in public. And while it's very catchy, um, I don't think enough has been, I don't think enough research has been done into finding out what it is that people are frightened of, you know, whether Mm. it is and what type of public speaking we're talking about. So, Mm. but, you know, there's no doubt that you could, that we can agree that there are, for some people, uh, even the thought of the prospect of speaking in public is absolutely terrifying mm. and uh, you know the i i just consider that the the saddest thing in that there's so many people not being able to live their lives to the fullest and i'm not saying that every that everyone should be turning into a mad extrovert or anything like that but not being able to confidently interact in their daily life i mean one young woman that i worked with um really charming but very, very shy and we worked quite um, solidly together and um, she sailed off into the night, so to speak, and she came back and, and contacted me in about a week later and said, you know, Fran, I was able to go up to the pub and order my drink confidently. And while that doesn't seem very much, does it? It, for her to be able to navigate, be, you know, in the group of people that she up, for her to be able to navigate going through and then going up to the to the, the bar and being able to order confidently and, and clearly because um, in my programs we also work a bit on um, proje- projection of, of sound and articulation of, of words, all of those sort of things. So, it's you know, it's a big package. And it was thrilling to know that this young woman now was able to, in a social context, be able to just walk up and order her, you know, gin and tonic or whatever it was. And I know, Tony, that alcohol's not in your, not, not in your purview. Um, but for her, the reason that she'd come to me was that in meetings at work, she was she would hesitate and lose her moment, and particularly in the projects that she was leading, she was speaking to me and saying, I'm losing the lead on the projects because I'm not able to, you know, say the thing that she wanted to say at that time. And that, and then we started working on all of the, the aspects of and I'll, a very quick summary. What's the outcome you're looking for? Um, is it just to get the message across? Do you want people to like you? You know, we talk about the actual mechanics of what it is that you want to present. And as in terms of uh, bringing it down to what your um, podcasts and your theme is about, Tony, is that it is a habit. Talking about public speaking speaking, um, is often a trigger for someone to have a habit of being frightened. Mm. And, you know, that's and that habit has been formed from some event in the past. And it's in the past and that's where it belongs and breaking the habit of the body and the mind to 
trick in whip into that trigger uh, the trigger um, situation. It's it's not. I'm not saying it's simple, but it is very very clear the stages that we can go through to ensure that someone doesn't can insert another habit, a habit Mm. of being confident, a habit of knowing that you've got the mechanics and the techniques and the tools to be able to do it. Well, and also something that you just said, um, as you were explaining or describing that situation with, with that young lady, and it occurred to me that that would also impair her health because that's going to cause stress the yes. you know that she's getting the way that she's feeling each time she even just as you said just asking for a drink at the bar each time yes. that's happening that's causing more and more stress and many chronic conditions are simply an accumulation of stress it's not any one incident no you're absolutely right tony and that's the isn't that the scary thing or that you know that well scary for me in that in any if you took the first 2 hours of your daily life and every time you had to speak or interact with someone, it caused you a point of stress. Um, I'm I'm wondering why more people don't reach out to people like you and people like me to be able to find a way to break those stress those stress spirals. Hmm. But you're absolutely so, right. So how would you? So well, I mean, maybe that that case. Or, or for someone else who has got a real problem with, and, and it's also interesting because I imagine anyone in the first few minutes of this episode of probably when you're talking about public speaking in their mind, they're probably thinking, oh, that's about speaking in front of a thousand people, a hundred people. Uh, yeah, but as exactly. you just mentioned, this was just one-on-one going to the bar. So it's not necessarily, public mm. speaking is not necessarily scores hundreds of people. Absolutely not. And in terms of, for me, public speaking means, and it'll sound a bit trite, but it means speaking in public. What happens mm. when you pick up the phone? Mm. Are you frightened? You know, are you person who has, has, a, has a problem? Are you hesitant to answer the phone because you don't feel confident, you know, are they going to ask me something I don't know? And I, I was astounded to find that there are a lot of young people who much prefer texting because not for any other reason other than they're frightened to answer the phone. Hmm. Um, mm, that to me is um, something that uh, we really do need to address. And public speaking for me, and I probably would, I want to find another way perhaps of, of talking about it, and it's speaking out loud, speaking hmm. out loud to someone. And then being able to monitor that and be able to deliver what it is that you want to say to that person out loud any time you want to or any time you need to mm. and not go, oh, I've got to speak. Mm. You've actually just reminded me of, um, I mean, before we started recording, I mentioned to you that I was a member of Toastmasters for a long time. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm remembering, uh, oh, I don't know, it's about five years ago or so, Toastmasters had a program called the Youth Leadership Program. Uh-huh. And we would go into schools and we would help, you know, in this particular case, it was a group of around 20, 13-year-olds, I think they were. And oh, the school was, it wasn't a particularly rough school, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like a public school. It, you know, so mm-hmm. there were some kids there with some some problems and some issues. yeah. yeah. And I remember week one, there was a there was a few kids in particular who, when it came to trying to get them to talk, just in front of the other people in the room, the other kids in the room, they would always be laughing and sort of joking, and because that was their way of getting out of it, they didn't want yeah, to actually sure. say anything. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the, um, I think it was twelve weeks or however long it was, and we were yep. doing different exercises with them mm-hmm. every week. Yep. And then at the end of it, there was a graduation ceremony and a number of these kids delivered speeches, impromptu in some cases. Wow. There's one particular kid I remember who was one of the most nervous at the beginning. Yep. And then he delivered this speech and he now had this power. He was able to convey his thoughts that he'd never been able to before. Oh, how wonderful. And he, he delivered this speech and it was in front of 
parents, teachers, there was loads of people came to this graduation ceremony. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think there was many people in the room who weren't wiping tears from their eyes. Yes. Oh, mm. oh that, um, it just warms my heart, warms mm. my heart. And I'm hoping that you have a sense of great pride that you were engaged in that type of program because you and your colleagues and the program changed those kids' lives, changed mm. their lives. Mm. Um, the, the skills that they have learned, you know, at age 13, wow, that is really, really fragile, isn't it? Really, really. Mm. Um, and the, fragile in terms of the amount of power that peers will have in that, mm. you know, in that, that environment. That is, oh, that warms my heart, Tony, absolutely mm. warms my heart. Mm. Everyone, but let's change the world, Tony. Let's change the world. <laughs> <laughs> New habits. <laughs> and I'm guessing there is no solution that works for everyone because obviously everyone comes to this with different fears and there's a reason everyone will have a different reason for why they have that fear in the first place Mm -hmm. so how do you go about establishing how are you going to help this person that's in front of you right now how do you work Mm -hmm. that out it starts with talking as i said starts with talking about when was the last time you can remember being able to speak and if you can't remember ever being able to speak in front of people okay tick the um what i my i have a really gentle way of getting started tony in terms of we talk about um what is your body feeling are you aware of what your breathing is like you know and we talk about breathing etc and then for me it's finding out how far back we're going to try to work through that trigger event we talk about um, there's a, a self-development component as well, saying when you want to say things, why aren't you? Is it because you don't feel you're worthy enough? Is there, do you have a feeling that you aren't, aren't qualified enough or you're not, you know? So we talk about maybe what caused it first, but the next step is, what is it you're trying to achieve with the piece of speaking? And then based on that, that can branch off to a whole bunch of things, that if it's, um, oh, I'm, I'm not worthy enough or I don't know enough, well, you know, you, uh, you are unique. There is no one else in the world who will have your take on this, on this particular topic. There's no one else who has your education, who has. So your, your take is going to be unique and whatever's going to come out of your mouth is going to be unique. And the mm. people on the other side of this don't know what you're saying until you say it. So how mm. can you muck it up? You know that it's really, really practical stuff. But mm. for me, it's the and that to me has to be done very gently and very respectfully. Um, and I, I probably want to say from the beginning, Tony, and I say this to all of my clients that or potential clients that if there is um, some. The, if the event is causing them to move into a trauma type of, of situation, I'm not the person. Mm. There is a psychologist or, you know, mental health professionals professionals that I would expect that I could refer them to. And then when you got all that sort of stuff, let's talk about performance and talk about projection and all of those sort of things. Mm. The majority, well, all of the people that I work with are people who have a fear but it's something that we can talk about where I'm not re-traumatising or, you know, adding to the anxiety or any of those things. Can you think of an example of someone who has come to you and they're, they just they don't believe they can speak in front of whether it be delivering a presentation or maybe yeah. in front of their family or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. and then you've worked with them and they were really surprised with how they were able to do this thing, which they really feared. Yes, absolutely. My favourite, I guess, is um, a wonderful photographer, uh, a female photographer, and she had been going to networking events, you know, you stand up and you give your spiel and all of that sort of stuff, and she'd been going to them for years. And she said, you know, I stand up and I mumble something and I feel stupid and I feel like I've done my business, 
you know, a, a damage rather than any sort of um, any sort of benefit. And so we wor- we worked together, um, and she was nervous. Even talking about it, you could see her body was shaking and all that sort of stuff. So it was it was some some lengthy time that we spent together. But in the end, we worked out. I said, Karen, what's the thing? What's the very thing that makes photography? come alive for you and she we talked about it and we talked about it and then she said Fran I will stay stay there I will sit there all day until I can find or until I can see the shining it's got nothing to do with Jack Nicholson or anything like that and I said you've got to please explain that to me and she said well can I show you one of my 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 pieces of work I said sure she held it up and it was a piece that had a woman in a, a, a flowing flowing um, outfit standing on a rock and it had nothing to do with the light. It had nothing to do with the actual picture itself. It was when you looked at the woman's face, you could see that there was an expression and she said, that is what I'll wait every day. I'll wait all day until I get that. And I said, okay, Karen, that is what we're going to, to convey to the people you want to talk to. And in the end, it came up with, and I said, maybe, and she said, I don't know that if I can stand up. I, I, we worked all this. And so I said, well, look, maybe you need some props. So she had her camera bag and I said, just strap that across your body. And if you're feeling nervous, put your hand on that. And so that you are grounding and you're, you know, um, uh, monitoring your breath. Okay, good. And we, I came along. I was her couraged companion. I didn't say anything. I was just there at the, the networking with her. I don't do this with all of my clients, but Karen needed it. Um, and she said, my name's Karen and I'm a photographer of women. And there's nothing sleazy about that. She said, but, you know, with my photography, I will wait there all day until I can see the shining. And then she picked up the piece that she'd showed me and she showed it to her audience and there was intake of breath <gasps> like this, and she got three commissions on that day. Wow. And I was so, so proud of her because she was still really, really mm. nervous, but we'd worked on what she wanted to say and how she wanted to say it and her uniqueness of what it was that she wanted to stand out and mm. the, her, the, the light in her eyes after she delivered that I knew, I knew that she'd got it, that she was, she was unique and she had the power to be able to talk about the thing that, that lit her up. And that was just magic, absolutely magic. And it sounds like what you just described is like the difference between fear and excitement. We talked about this before, but the difference yes, between exactly. fear and excitement is yes. so trivial. Yes. And it's just, uh, it's, and sometimes it's just about the difference in breath because when you hold your breath, it becomes fear. Yes, and when you can yes. release the breath, it can become excitement, can't it? That's exactly right. That's absolutely right. Tick, tick, tick. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm, uh, uh, well, I'm thinking where to. One of the things that, that is occurring to me as you were speaking, um, yes. and one of the things that I realized from my experience with Toastmasters was I think I went to Toastmasters because because I wanted to become a better speaker. But what I actually realized after a few years I'd been there was I wasn't, it wasn't just about speaking. It was about communicating, which is much more than just speaking. Yes, it is. Absolutely. The um, communicating and particularly in a corporate, corporate environment, um, Tony, and that's some of my other corporate programs, ones I call sweaty palms where, you know, people standing up to speak in meetings and all of that sort of stuff. But in terms of communication, in a meeting you are still communicating, you are still in the communication event, even if you're just sitting there at the table listening. If you are listening, you're going to be able to communicate better rather than listening until it's your turn to speak. It's listening to understand so that you can deliver, you know, an appropriate level of communication. Whether it is to disagree, that's mm. that's not the, the case. It's listening to understand and then being able to respond appropriately. Mm. That is absolutely more about communication than just speaking. Mm. 
Mm. And and is even so many other facets like body language and oh, yeah. and yeah I mean there's so many other facets to, to communication isn't there? Mm, that's exactly right. And while I I adore being on podcasts, I really love it. In terms of podcasting and in Zoom and a lot of those things, the cues that people automatically, well, mostly automatically respond to. A lot of those cues, uh, they're robbed of those um, those cues. And in terms of being, being able to communicate well, you have to overcompensate. If you're being robbed of those sort of cues, you have to be 100% focused on what the person's saying or what you can hear them say um, and being active in your communication. Did I get that right? I would say there would be 0.1% of people who would respond badly if you've said, I'm not quite sure I understand. Is this what you meant? Have I got it right? That, to me, is what good communication is about and that, to me, is only part of what speaking in public is about because it's a two-way street. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you are looking for deep support to create the health and life you want, we invite you to consider one-on-one coaching sessions with Tony. Coaching sessions give you personalised guidance to fit your unique goals and life situation. Only a limited number of spots are available, but you can easily get started by booking a free introductory call at tonywinyard.com. Now back to the show. You know, I've just, I've just had a realization of something, and this is. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll like this actually. I yeah. so this platform that we're using now, yes. which is for for the listeners, you, I don't think I've ever spoken about this before. It's a platform called Zencaster, and Zencaster changed their operation about a year or so ago. So, prior, I mean, I've been doing this podcast for three years. Yes. For the first couple of years. It was pure. I wasn't able to see the person I was speaking with, so I can mm. see you as we're speaking. Although the listeners yeah. can only hear this, I can yeah, actually yeah. see Francis as I'm speaking. Mm. And that only came in about a year ago. And what has just occurred to me is, previously I had to do a lot more editing of my episodes, and I was just thinking that for quite a while now I, I need to do very little editing for my podcast mm-hmm. and I've realized it's because now I can see the other person and they can see me yes there's often not much need to do any editing because I know when you're about to speak because I can visually I can I've yes. got much a much better idea of when you want to speak and I can stop and vice versa that's right. And, and that right. had never occurred to me before that it's not because of simply being able to see the other person and then being able to see me I now spend far less time editing. Mm, mm. Because the flow, because of the flow, and there's we're less likely to hesitate, or we're less likely, or we're probably more likely to, um, when when we don't have the visual, visual cues, we're more likely to overcompensate, and and that only really really good communicators can overcompensate in the right way. And so, you know, as you say, the, the level of editing would have been higher. And there you go. We've, you've um, Another revelation. Wow. <laughs> ah, it's an ex- excellent thing. Well, also, when you think that, that's made me think about social media and yes. how easy it is for many people to misinterpret what other people have said or what other they think other people have said on social yes. media and why yes. there's so much miscommunication and so much anger yes. because we, there is no visual component it's purely words mm-hmm. and then it, for a start you've got one element of society who maybe have dyslexia or whatever it may be that's right that's right which all compounds with the issues of communication on on social media i guess oh it, Absolutely, and the the miscues that that happen, you know, because it is right to say that eighty percent of our communication is nonverbal. Hmm? So that you, a string of words put together on a screen, you're asking a lot of those string of words to be hmm. written, as you've said, you know, written clearly, but also interpret interpreted quickly, uh, correctly every single time. Hmm. That's a lot. You're asking of a single set of words. 
I mean, I love language and I love words. And and as one of a person recently noticed, I've got my Macquarie. This was my um, birthday present to myself: is the new two volumes, eighth edition of the Australian uh, Macquarie Australian Dictionary. It's, um, it started out at the Macquarie University in New South Wales, and that's that's my go-to for Australian language. And I love language and I love words, as I said. But in terms of um, the amount of significance that is applied to whether there's a full stop or not is one aspect, but the amount of significance that's being applied to I want to or I would like to, in our, when we hear I want is far less, um, far less polite than I would like to. But mm. if you're looking at a reduced number of characters, I want implies a level of demand that maybe you didn't mean. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many um, aspects where you can have miscommunication firing all over the place. And by, as, as we've mentioned, you know, the, particularly with young people and I suppose older people as well, um, I'm not a very good texter. I can't use both thumbs. <laughs> um, it, it, to me it's we're robbing ourselves of the opportunity for good communication. Mm. We are just robbing ourselves. How we fix that? I don't know yet. Don't have all the answers to that, Tony. Maybe you have, um, but <laughs> I'll pick up the phone and talk to anybody for any reason. <laughs> and I do. I don't mind FaceTime. It's just usually people hold it so that you get a look up their nose, and that's not really very encouraging. Or <laughs> and they're very nice noses, mind you. But you know, the, there's a whole bunch of things that that need to be inserted when you are using FaceTime or when you are using Zoom or any of those sort of things, um, that in a professional sense there's a whole lot more riding on being able to make sure that you haven't got the, the, <laughs> the camera show, showing your nose or the, the micro, microphone is working well or your earphones. Those are all technical aspects that we need to be aware of given that you and I in this environment we have rectangles. That's mm-hmm. it. But, you know, that is a, a much greater level of, of, of being able to read each other than having none at all. Hmm. And then if we're using this medium in a commercial sense or, you know, a corporate sense, there are a lot of cues that people are misusing. Hmm. And, you know, if, I don't know whether you do Zoom with your meetings anywhere, hmm. Tony, where you've got the Zoom zombies. That's a term that I've coined for the people who sort of disengage totally and they're sitting there like this and it's one of the most... <laughs> Um, put off one of the most, um, shall we say, dismissive acts you can take is sitting back from a Zoom meeting and with your arms crossed and just picking your teeth or, you know, looking around. You're not engaged at all and there you are in full view of everybody how much you're disengaged. Mm. You, can get a, you can't get away with that as much, I suppose, in a face-to-face meeting. Mm. But in terms of good communication, hey, people, a Zoom meeting is still a, me- a meeting and you're being really, really rude, I think, um, very impolite by not engaging. And, and even if it is boring and da 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 don't be a muppet, be engaged, you know. Mm. <laughs> That's a ramble, I know, but, it, yeah, it's a ramble, but I think, I think you'll be able to pick out the bits that you want. <laughs> so, so generally the people that are coming to you for help, is mm-hmm. there um, a repeated theme or repeated issue that they have or, uh, and and age group wise as well, is there a particular age group or? Um, I've, I've had clients between 20 and up to 60, but the repeating theme I think is that is maybe 25 to, to 40 ambitious people who want to be able to speak and, and need to be able to speak to, to move up their ladder or, you know, whatever it is. And don't know how to do that. Don't know how to get to the point of being able, being able to articulate. You know, they're busy. They they know their job, and the capacity to be able to deliver um, a coherent speech, even if it is just the sales report for the month. Being and there's a number of outcomes. You know, depending on what outcome they want, whether they just want to get the, the sales report across. Um, whether they really would like to have people like them, um, whether they would really, um, people need to know this to be able to do the job well, you know, all of those sort of things. The recurring theme is 
I want to be able to do this. I need to achieve something with this and I don't know how. And it's the, the how that entails finding out what caused the fear, breaking the habits of, of the fear responses, um, inserting other habits that, you know, we've spoke about before, whether it's um, just little cues that you can give yourself, like counting. One of the, my favourite ones is um, count backwards from 100 in sevens. That's the best fear spiral breaker because people go, what? Oh, 100, um, 93, um, and for that one or two seconds, they don't have fear. Mm. And, you know, reinforcing that so that, that ha- the habit then becomes I'm starting to breathe shallowly. Okay, I'll start deepening my breath and I'll count 100s. And all we're doing is just interrupting. So that's taking a long way around, I guess. Sorry, Tony. Um, but in terms of the, the major thing is wanting to get to an outcome, which is delivering a coherent piece of speech for whatever that surface is, then just deciding, I don't know how to do that. I don't have the skills. Why do I keep freezing up? Why? So we then take the next step of delivering those, embedding those those habits, um, enhancing skills down to the point of then I can stand up and speak out loud whenever I need to or whenever I want to. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of the, does that give a, a broad overbrush of, of, of where, we, where we go? Mm-hmm. And so how, when it comes to swapping habits or changing habits, how is there a particular way that you find what is useful or, or how does that work? Um, I, well, I've got 33, as I said, right. <laughs> and we, we try them out. Hmm. Um, in terms of the first one is when people start to feel their breath shallow, their, their, <coughs> pardon me, their breath coming more shallow, that's the first thing. No, you can feel it, take a deeper breath. And then, you know, in most cases, I have to be honest, we start with a breath where it's in for three, hold for three, out for three. Mm. Um, then there's others, you know, warm up your pipe, warm up your, your voice before you're going to count in, in seven. So we try out each one of those and one or the other or, you know, a, a group of three will resonate with the person where they can feel the breath deepening, where they can feel... That, that their eyes aren't darting anymore. That, and it, it's, it's just a trial and error. The first one mm. is breath, always breath, always breath, um, mm. but anything else from that. And, and, you know, some people prefer to be able to, to start talking about the actual um, physiology of it where, you know, your vagus nerve is you're in the health aspects and I'm not in there, but uh, my awareness of how important the vagus nerve is and how you are... Um, um, Innovate, you know, you're agitating the, the vagus nerve by having that high level of stress, by shallow breathing, all of those sort of things. So, and I'm not qualified whatsoever to talk about what we're doing to the vagus nerve, but being able to say this is something that your body is responding to and your mind is saying there's something to be frightened of, that there is some danger. What's the danger? What is the danger? So by then saying, well, it, there's no reason to be frightened, so let's break the mind-body connection. Let's insert another habit, and whichever one is going to work, and it takes time, obviously, but most people say, oh, I like that idea, and the smell of roses or, um, you know, if I, Tony, if I smell old, dried-up orange peel, I'm immediately transported back to my grade five, you know, the, the suitcase racks outside our, our um classrooms so whatever the, the the most powerful response that we can generate in the person and whether it's as i said smell or it's smiling um or having a having a brooch or touch your watch with your hand so that you are you're inserting a physical habit and that doesn't mean to say you fiddle with your watch or anything like that but it's for that one second two second three second holding on to the watch so that you're breaking the, the mind-body connection. I mean, of course, there's other fun things that, that we do is the, the Wonder Woman or Superman stance. And this one's actually um, um, been proven psycho- uh, scientifically is that if you stand um, with your feet uh, shoulder-width apart, your hands on your hips and elbows out and stand up straight uh, and say your name out loud, 
you're changing the combination of, of hormones in your body. So, you know, that's a fun one and that's one I run in classes and I have my own form of that, Tony, and it's called the ninja part. And what we're actually doing is, um, uh, once again, feet at shoulder width apart, knees bent, uh, arm, elbows into your, your waist, hands, palms upwards and clench your fists and then using diaphragmatic breathing, and I've already taught people how to do that, using diaphragmatic breathing, you drop your knees and give a nice deep <clears throat> so that you're bringing up the, 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 the breath right up through into your mouth and placement and all of those sort of things. And people laugh. But I can guarantee you can't be doing that. And, of course, you're not going to do that when you're standing up in front of people. That's when you're getting ready to do that. I can guarantee you can't be doing that and being fearful at the same time. So you're breaking mm. the habit, breaking the habit, breaking the habit. If, whatever works, but we mm. go through it. There's you know quite a range that we can choose from. Has there has anyone have any of your clients ever said to you that they've realised that what they've learnt from you and by improving improving their confidence to be able to deliver in whatever sphere it may be, mm-hmm. they've realised it's actually helped them in other areas of their life as well. Oh yes. Absolutely, and that that thrills my just gives me a thrill. Um, in terms of, I'm trying to think of the best examples. It was a well, the the young woman for sure was was being able to go and, and order her um, order her drinks in in the pub, but there was a, a young mother who um, who came and she was going back into the workforce and needed some, you know, some, some um, assistance in, in developing confidence and being able to, and, you know, because of my corporate background as well, we could talk, talk about what questions might likely to be asked in the job interview and we did some, some role plays and rehearsing of that. Um, but I remember it now. She was saying <clears throat> she got the job, yay, fantastic. But she said, you know, Francis, when I went to daycare later on, some things had been disturbing me in daycare about what was happening and I didn't understand. And she said, I then had the confidence to be able to go and talk to the director of the daycare centre and say, I want to know about this. And she said, we didn't have a fight or anything like that, but there was something that I was really concerned about and prior I was too frightened to say. And she said, I had the confidence to be able to set out what it is that I wanted to do in this interaction and that was to get information and, and she wanted reassurance that this, you know, that, that her, her baby was safe, obviously. But she said, I was able to go there and state what I needed without feeling like an idiot. I got what I wanted and, we had a, and I had a better relationship with that person who was the carer of my child. Mm. Yes. Yes, yes. Hmm. So important. So important. Are there, um, this is a question I, I ask most of my guests, Francis. Is there yes. a book or, or are there any books that have particularly moved you for, for any reason? Um, I, I read To Kill a Mockingbird when I was quite young and I always still remember. And I probably, um, seeing Gregory Peck in the movie afterwards has embedded the strength of the strength of, of what he did and what that, that circumstance was in, um, in, in the, the southern US. Um, so that's, that's one thing and the power of speech and the power of, well, the power of speech in a positive sense and also the power of speech in a negative sense. That was one thing. I suppose the other one that comes to mind um, for me is, and I got this series, I never encountered this series until my 21st birthday and that was the Narnia Chronicles. And while there, there would be a lot of people who would take issue with some of the, the philosophies of, um, you know, the, the, particularly the religious sort of aspect of it, and that's not what I'm here to talk about, but in terms of the empowering of children and the, empower, and the, the idea of, of um, going through the, I mean, going through the line which in the wardrobe, what is it that you were doing, what the beliefs that you have as a child and how that shapes you. I just found that absolutely um, riveting. And I was 21 and they're supposed to be, you know, children's stories. And it was given to me by actually a a priest friend. (laughs) 
<laughs> so there was a, a you know a, a religious aspect, but that certainly wasn't the basis of, of the delivery of, of, of the gift. Um, and it was talking about you know confidence and, and exploring what is real in your life and what matters and all of those sort of things. So yes, those those two sort of jumped to mind straight away. And, and since then, don't know really. I love reading. I just churn it, churn them up. You know. I didn't mention that I'd written a book, did I? I was just, a, I was just about <laughs> to ask that, actually, yeah. Yes. Oh, and I jumped in. We can rub that out now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about sports humour and it's about, given that you have a very high sort of, um, you know, the high proportion of the health and habits and, and good sort of stuff, this would not, it's called Your Kitchen Olympics and Other Remarkable Athletic Feats. And it started out as a blog, oh, probably five years ago, four or five years ago, where I was making observations of the absolutely stupid and awkward things that I do or I was doing and still do, I guess, as an arthritic boomer, you know, the baby boomers, the period of time after the Second World War where a whole bunch of us were born. Um, And it ended up, I got to get, it ended up being a, a stable of 13 events and I've called them Kitchen Olympics. Things like, um, oh, you know, the blister, the pills, the blister pill packs. When you're trying to get rid of those, get them out of the the container, I can shoot it across the kitchen and have it land on top of the dishwasher under the shelf, and I consider that a kitchen Olympic event. And there's a whole bunch of the, you know, fighting with palm fronds and a whole bunch of silliness, I guess. But so many people have have um, resonated with it that the things and looking for the phone with your phone, the light on your phone, um, looking at how many times can you drop a phone before it's, you know, before it's never going to work again. So and how often do you get a, a heart surge when you're watching the phone drop to the floor? So in terms of is it a bit of silliness? Yes. Is it a bit of trivial stuff? Yes. But there are so many things that we do in our lives that are awkward and how we respond to certain physical, what we may consider threats, but really are just ordinary everyday things. And the message is you're still a winner. You're just still a winner. We get up and we do stuff every day and whether it's a trivial thing or whether it's a significant thing, you really matter. We all really, really matter and and there is no reason why you can't say, I want to be a better me, but your original me is still fabulous. It's still just fabulous and, you know, that enhancing it is the thing, but you are enough and you always will be enough. It's, it's made me think about, um, I, did, I did some stand-up comedy for a while. All uh, right, yes, And yes. When, when I was learning it, we were, they said one of the things to look for is exactly what you were just describing about those crazy little things that happen in our everyday life because that's perfect yes. material for stand-up comedy. <laughs> so now I'm thinking yes. this should be a book that stand-up, budding stand-up comedians should probably go and buy this because it's going to give the material for their, <laughs> for their routines. <laughs> observational stuff you know and it's based in fact so yes i'd be very happy to send you a copy if you would like (laughs) use off 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 um screen you can send me your address and i'd be very happy to send you a copy and it takes you i'm guaranteeing a chuckle a page and it's only very small see it's quite thin quite slim it is available as an ebook and all of those sort of things but um that's not the that's not the point of this podcast but i'd be very happy to send you a copy tony if you're interested absolutely well, well and if people want to find out more about you and maybe they want to get that book where, get that where, book, they, yes. where would they go the, the it's the book itself your kitchen olympics and um other remarkable athletic feats is there's two formats one is um an ebook you know that you can get through barnes and noble and all of those sort of and that's um that's books to read uh, dot com slash your kitchen olympics. There's two formats in Amazon. Uh, one is the Kindle, and one is a print on demand, so you can get an actual physical book. Um, anything else that you want to talk to me about? I have a Facebook page. One's under Francis Carl. My um, pu- public speaking sort of focus is in polish your pitch. So it's facebook.com um, forward slash polish your pitch. Um, and another little club that I formed in Facebook is called the Speakeasy Club. And the Speakeasy Club's job is, you know how you type in, how do I 
deal with fear on public speaking and you come back with 1.973 million responses in 0.27 seconds and none of them fit with the question that you had. With our Speakeasy Club, we attempt to answer, tailor the questions, tailor the answers to your questions so that it is practical and it's something you can use straight away. So those are the three, um, Facebook, Francis Carl, Polish Your Pitch, uh, Speakeasy Club and Your Kitchen Olympics. Come on down. <laughs> and just before we finish, Francis, is yes. there a quotation that you particularly like? Oh, there's so many, so many. Um, the one that I that I was looking for this morning when I was doing one of my posts and I found it. It's by Eleanor Roosevelt and it's no one can make you feel inferior unless you let them. So that people can say whatever they want but you only you are the ones who can let it in and make you feel, you know, you start feeling inferior. And I find that really, really... Um, inspiring because once again I'm sorry go on well I'm gonna say is there a particular reason why that resonates with you or why that sticks in your mind um because as I as I mentioned previously because I was at a point where I lost my confidence completely and I Mm. felt inferior Mm. and it was from me feeling inferior and it was me then I, I had the chance to take control. I I was the one who could start saying, well, no, you're not inferior. There's just a few things that you need to work on and that to mm. me is really important and that um, if someone think, and you know, turning that around the other way, if someone thinks they can have the power to make you feel bad by saying sad things or rude things or dismissive things, they think they have the power and that's up to you to have in your mind saying they don't have the power over me. I'm not inferior. I won't mm. allow them to think of me as inferior because I'm not. Francis, it's been a, a real pleasure. So thank you for your time. And, well, thank um, you. I've loved it. Um, best of luck for the future. Yes, you too. Thanks so much, Tony. Next week, episode 38 of Habits and Health. And it's a fascinating episode with a guy called Robert Davis. He is a, he's known as the healthy skeptic and he's an award-winning health journalist whose work has appeared on CNN, WebMD, Wall Street Journal and many other places and he's authored a few previous books on health and he hosts the healthy skeptic video series which dissects the science behind popular health claims. He holds an undergraduate degree from Princeton University, a master's degree in public health and a PhD in health policy. And we we dig into some of the myths around health and how they've evolved. And it's um, it's a fascinating episode. That's next week with Robert Davis. If If you enjoyed this week's episode with Francis, please do share it with anyone who would get some real value from it. And I hope you have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.